0: Welcome to the Worship Leader Essentials podcast, brought to you by Worship Catalyst. Worship Catalyst is a nonprofit ministry built to help people find and worship Jesus by mentoring and training worship leaders and their teams. This podcast is part of that mission. In the next few minutes, it is our goal to help you do more with less. For more information and resources, or to connect with us, please visit worshipcatalyst.com.
1: We're so glad you're here today. Let's learn together. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the Worship Leader Essentials podcast. This is Austin Ryan, and uh, I've got my good friend, Neil Creasy, with me. How's it going, Neil? Doing well. How are you? Good. Neil is the pastor of Redemption Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, as well as a uh, missionary of sorts and a missiologist for sure. And uh, if you want to know what any of that means, you can ask Neil. But what we are going to be talking about today, by the way, Neil and I, we got pretty good seats, don't we, Neil? We do. We're uh, sitting here on a balcony of a mission house in Yamasucro, Cote d'Ivoire, in West Africa. So it's been a really cool week. Neil's been teaching a seminary class on? Cultural anthropology. Would uh, you like to give us a short version of what cultural anthropology is? So
0: anthropology is the study of man and the... Subfield cultural anthropology focuses on studying the culture of man.
1: That sounds like it would be a pretty thrilling podcast for us to unpack someday.
0: It's it's really good, <laughs> especially when you get into uh, church practice and what is biblical mandate and what is cultural expression.
1: Okay. Well, as exciting as that sounds as it relates to worship music in a church, let's table that for next time. How's okay. that? All right, cool. So, um, Neil's been teaching that class. I've been teaching a couple of worship classes in a seminary. And then in the evenings, for those of you that follow Worship Catalyst, we have these locations around the United States, uh, where we have teams of people that are available to serve small churches and new churches and help them get off the ground with their worship ministry. And they do a lot of different things, but internationally is a new realm for us. And so, uh, we have been pouring into three worship leaders here in um, in Ivory Coast, and this week, every night they went from church to church to church and taught, and they they trained over a hundred worship leaders this week. And uh, when I say trained, I think they started a conversation that's going to lead to way more training uh, for over a hundred worship leaders. Just a fantastic week. So, anyway, what we're going to talk about since we are here not in the United States, is we're going to talk about the persecuted church uh, on this podcast. And we're going to talk about specifically how worship matters in churches that are persecuted all over the world. Now, Neil, how many countries have you been to? I've been to around 50 countries. My goodness. So how many are there, like 215 or something?
0: Well, it changes, I think, I don't remember the numbers, 180. I think it's somewhere around 180 but okay it changes every year.
1: Okay, so you've been to you've been to 25% of the countries in the world basically or so. Yes. And so um you you're going to have a great perspective on this, but for me I've only been just in the last few years. Of course I've been to a lot of countries before this, but over the last over the last couple of years we've been to Philippines, Honduras, Guatemala, Um, And here in West Africa, training worship leaders and pastors. And my mind has just expanded so much on worship. I think in the United States, we just get really locked into what church music looks like in various settings. And that's all we think about when we think about worshiping God.
0: Uh, Yes, but that's true anywhere you go. Okay. Uh, No matter where you go in the world, they're usually not asking how do people in other places worship they just worship you know in the cultural context that they're familiar with
1: right yeah i guess that's true we all kind of dive into whatever we do and we kind of that becomes our whole filter right so let's um let's kind of get into this a little bit because i think this is incredibly interesting the first time neil that i kind of told you that i felt like god was leading us into you know, involvement in churches and worship leaders and things in, uh, overseas, you t- you started to talk to me about the, the impact of worship in the persecuted church. Now, before we get into that specifically, like what are we talking about when we talk about the persecuted church?
0: So the persecuted church represents our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in places that being a follower of Jesus can... Cause them to be persecuted, whether that's imprisonment, yeah, whether that's denied education, denied health care, whether that's uh, martyrdom, um, but, but basically areas that being a follower of Jesus will bring about uh, violence and oppression in your context.
1: So how many countries in the world do you think, I know this is going to be a total stab in the dark probably, but how many countries do you think persecution comes to those who worship publicly or whatever?
0: I, I don't know the number, but if you look at where the greatest amount of unreached people are, mm-hmm. then a high number of those places are persecuted. So all across northern Africa, across the Middle East, yeah, uh, throughout much of Asia. China, you know, there's a lot... That's been reported about how the church has just grown in phenomenal ways in China. But that doesn't mean there isn't still persecution going on in China. Sure. Uh, The church is exploding in Iran, um, but there's still persecution. And so uh, throughout Asia, um, throughout um, the Middle East, throughout northern Africa, um, which is a majority of the... um, you know, populated world, mm-hmm. um, there's serious persecution. And then even in other areas, you can have areas where there's really strong Catholicism, yeah. and there can be persecution, um, usually not on the level as like in a Muslim country, but there can still be some forms of persecution that comes in those areas. Um, but when you talk about the whole Muslim world, yeah, which covers Northern Africa, the Middle East, yeah. parts of Southeast Asia... You have areas of persecution.
1: Is it fair to say that uh, half of the world, if, if they were a Christian, that they would be persecuted in some way?
0: Uh, no, that's not fair because it's probably three quarters of the world.
1: Whoa, really?
0: Because Asia has heavy persecution. Right. And the greatest population in the world is in Asia. Okay. China has a billion people that's an eighth of the world's population
1: so I think when we think of persecution a lot of times we think of death and you've listed out a lot of different you know a lot of different ways or we think of physical persecution imprisonment you know all that kind of stuff is the physical persecution or go to jail persecution that sort of thing I realize it's like a sliding scale I'm sure from country to country or mm-hmm. maybe even province to province or city to city or village to village but I mean when we talk about this persecution in these specifically these Muslim areas are, are there is, are beheadings and you know beatings and, and imprisonment and all that, is that is that common or is that like really local to areas or what is that? Uh, no, I mean
0: it can be very common uh, throughout that region to have that and and being killed is not the worst thing that can happen to you. I mean there's places in the Middle East where uh, parents have had to choose, between renouncing Jesus yeah. or losing custody of their children.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Because the courts are declaring they're not fit parents because they've become uh, Christians. Or you and your family cannot go to the hospital because they don't admit Christians. Oh, my. Um, yeah. So, so, yes, persecution is very real. Now, most persecution is simply threats. Okay. Because the goal of persecution is to make Christians lose their voice. Right. Silent. Yes, it's to silence them. And so usually the threat of it is enough to cause people to get in line. Right. Um, but it is very real. It happens, and, um, and it's a reality. And, and some places are worse than others. And yeah. so But persecution is very real. It's happening today. And even just living under threat of it
1: is a stressful situation. So, all right. So let's get to kind of the main the main point here. And that is, I think there's really two aspects of this that you could fill us in on that I think could be interesting to us and, like, maybe give us a heart for people that are in these areas. And one of them is, how do they worship God? And let's narrow this down to singing, okay, or public worship. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to define any of that, but um, how do they do that in an areas where they're persecuted? And then the second question I think I'd like to unpack is how is worship specifically a, um, a positive thing or a needed thing or something that helps them through the persecution?
0: Okay. Well, the first question of how do they participate in singing in a persecuted environment? Mm -hmm. And Really, two things come to mind with that. One is the size of the group. So, depending on the intensity of the persecution, is what determines how large a meeting can be. Okay. So, in areas of very intense persecution, the meetings are very small. Okay. Uh, during periods where persecution is not as intense, because usually persecution comes in waves. Okay. And we've seen that throughout church history. That there are waves where there's really severe persecution, and then it dies off for a bit, and there can be different reasons. So, um, a civil war in a country can lower the persecution for Christians because the government's dealing with the civil war; they don't have time to, you know, follow Christians around and, and persecute them. So there's, so it comes in waves. So what we've seen, you know, churches do is one, they have small groups, so you, you don't have you know, fifty people singing which would, you know, be a lot louder than just kind of three people in a room singing. The other thing that churches have done is is they've utilized whisper singing where they as a congregation they whisper the song together. That's really interesting. So is so that where that, would be an example of a place that they've done that? Uh they've done that in China. So where, So these
1: so the explosion of the church they're in these um houses like Exclusively, pretty much all over the country by the hundreds of thousands of these things. And is it everywhere in China that they would whisper sing or just certain parts that are the highest level of
0: persecution? Well, again, it would depend on where they're meeting, what is the level of persecution going on. Yeah. And uh, all that factors in. Yeah. So you can't paint too broad of a brush and say all of them do this. Yeah. Um, But it is a tool that's been utilized
1: amongst the persecuted church. Wow, whisper singing. I love that. So that's kind of how they try to do that. And it, it seems like it seems like other than the United States, like in so many of these places that you're mentioning, I mean it's almost exclusively house churches. Is that accurate? Uh
0: yes and no. I mean when you look at the former Soviet Union, yeah. uh they were persecuted, but you had Churches that had buildings. And there's other places that I've been to in Southeast Asia where there's persecution Mm -hmm. and they have buildings. So now, China, when it exploded, you know, they didn't have buildings, you know, so they didn't have anything to lose. But there are other places where there was an established church before persecution came. Right. And some of those places had buildings, and sometimes they maintained those buildings throughout persecution. Sometimes they lost the buildings. Right. Um, and buildings and persecution—that could be a whole other series of podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. The implications, but
1: right. Well, let's let's dig into the to the thing that you had said to me first when we first started talking about this whole thing four years ago, and that is, what is it like? How is it, or what is it about singing, about worshiping God, that helps a persecuted person through persecution? Okay.
0: Well, first of all, let me repeat what I said to you. Oh, to I may give, have got this
1: wrong. To give context, I've repeated this so many times, so I hope I didn't get this completely no, I, wrong.
0: No, but but <laughs> so that the audience knows the context. Okay, got it. So, um, a guy named Nick Ripkin.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: a movie came out several years ago based on his research entitled the insanity of god and if you haven't seen that movie or read that book i highly recommend it so uh, i had the privilege of working with nick years ago uh, overseas and uh, we didn't work you know daily together but you know i got to know him some over that and his wife and just great great missionary couple and he did probably the most extensive research on the persecuted church that's ever been done. Oh nice. And and the context of not just amongst the Islamic world yeah. but the former Soviet Union, China, anywhere there's persecution. Yeah. And as he was doing his research, something came up that he never expected to see. So he would interview either Christians who had been persecuted or family members of martyred believers. Yeah, And he started seeing this pattern that became so regular that as he was about to do an interview, if he wanted to know if the interview was going to be a good interview or not, Mm. if he wanted to know has this person really gone through persecution, he would ask them this question. What was the song?
1: Oh my, okay. What
0: was the song that got you through persecution? Wow. And if they either A, didn't have a song, Mm -hmm. Or B, they gave a song that was in English, that wasn't in their heart language. Mm. He said it almost always ended up not being a good interview.
1: That's so interesting.
0: And that's something he never expected to see. So what he learned is that uh, two uh, there are multiple characteristics of people who thrive in the midst of persecution that he discovered in his research. Yeah. Two of them, I think, are very important. One is people who thrived in the midst of persecution— had memorized large portions of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Because when you get thrown in jail, they usually don't let you take your Bible with you. But the second thing, and this is what led to his discovery in those interviews, is that they also had memorized large amounts of indigenous worship music. And that God used them for that. And I think, you know, as I've thought about that, um, one of the things we see in Scripture is that when we're fearful when we're doubting when we're in trouble a response god has called us to do is to worship mm-hmm. we see it with abram in genesis yeah. when he tells god what what are you going to give me because i don't have an heir
1: right
0: you know he's just won a big battle he's a powerful man i don't have an heir so what what can you give me what does it matter cuz it's all going to someone else and so he's in a season of doubting. God says, "Go get some animals. You know, a bull, uh, you know, a sheep, birds, and he prepares them as a sacrifice." Well, yeah. what is that? That's worship. Yeah. God points them to worship. Paul says that we're not to be afraid, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. What yeah. is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is
1: it's the is, entry point to worship. That's for sure. It's worship. Yeah.
0: And so uh music is something God has created in our lives. Yes. And indigenous music is so important because that's their heart language and people speak to God and hear from God in their heart language. Yeah. And so having indigenous w- music that they can sing takes their eyes off the situation and the pain. Right. And it puts us on the greatness of God. And that's why I think it's so powerful in uh, helping someone not only survive persecution, but to thrive in the midst of persecution.
1: So I've got this friend who's a missionary in Indonesia, and he's an ethnomusicologist. And so his job is to go in and help congregations of churches, I guess, or groups of worship leaders. Helps them write music using their instruments. So he like learns all about their instruments and their beats and their tones and their scales and all that kind of stuff. And then he helps them become better musicians for the purpose of writing their own worship songs. And so, man, I had never heard of that, you know, until he started doing it. But that exactly, that thing sounds exactly like what you're talking about. Yes,
0: because you have areas and you have people groups that still don't have scripture in their language. Right. That have, as far as we know, no engagement with the gospel. Right. And then you have a whole host of other people groups that have very limited engagement with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so you have people that they don't have a uh, plethora of worship songs. Right. They, they don't have a catalog. Right. And so, and because indigenous worship is so important. For one, I think obedience to God, to worship God, and two, uh, it's such a powerful tool and resource in the midst of persecution that they do, they realize that hey, maybe we can send missionaries who are musicians that can help speed the process along. Yeah. Um, and you know, there are some areas where. For example, in the Arab world. Yeah. Where maybe you're working with a people group that they don't have worship music, you know, amongst their people group, but they speak a dialect of Arabic. Right. And so there are more resources that they can pull from that is still in Arabic and it's is, is maybe close enough to meet that indigenous need. Yeah. But you've got other places that they don't have anything. And yeah. so someone who's there to kind of prime the pump is a, is a great tool to get uh, a worship catalog built.
1: Man, by God's grace, God's going to open up doors in some of these countries that you're talking about for us as worship catalysts to be able to step through and help them as much as we possibly can. Um, don't know what that might look like. Don't know what we might be able to do. But let me ask you one last question before I have another non-worship related question for you. So what could a worship leader do about all this? Here in the States, they're leading at a church somewhere, they're listening to this podcast. Is there anything that they can do to, like, help these people or to, you know, give support in any way?
0: Uh, Yes, I think, first of all, pray. Okay. Um, One of the other things that we have found that helps the persecuted thrive in the midst of persecution is they know they're not alone,
1: oh, yeah. that their
0: brothers and sisters are interceding for them. Mm. And so there's great power in that. The second thing is to help make awareness. If you're a leader in a local church, then become educated on this and then help your people understand. Right. One of the things that I've done in different churches that I've served is we've done a persecuted church service mm-hmm. where there's all sorts of ideas where we send out, passcodes that you have to have to get in but we also send out some false ones and yeah. if you give a false one Boom.
1: you get arrested you kill the person um, in the church so oh wait oh arrested yeah. never mind i thought yeah. no i thought this is gonna get super no, graphic no
0: no uh <laughs> not yet um but and then you come in and it's low lights and we whisper yeah. sing yeah and we teach them a bible verse that we all memorize because we yeah. don't have a whole bible right and We teach on that verse, and then they're to go to apply it until we get another verse. Mm -hmm. And and that brings awareness. And then the other thing is, what these people groups need, they need the gospel. Yes. And there's one reason they don't have the gospel, Mm -hmm. because we haven't gone. Yeah. And your church can be a part of seeing some of the last unreached people groups come to faith. Hallelujah so get involved there's many different mission organizations um, that you can get involved with i'm southern baptist so the imb has work amongst the persecuted operation mobilization is a great Mm -hmm. non-denominational organization that's around the world get involved to get the gospel uh coca-cola is in all of these places yeah they've existed less than 200 years Mm. we've been around for 2000 years and we still haven't gotten the gospel there. Mm. Let's go.
1: Man, and that we taste way better than the Coca-Cola. <laughs> well. Diet, not, we <laughs> taste better than, you know. Diet Coke's pretty good.
0: Better than World Cola. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that we've been enjoying
0: this <laughs> week. <laughs> we, we, have had,
1: we have had some World Cola. I think it's the competition to Coke, but not at all, you know? Yeah. All right, so... Um, if you're listening to this and, you're, and you guys have some relationships in some countries like this and you're already going or you're thinking about going or whatever, and you as a worship leader want to maybe engage to, to try to build up and, and mentor and train some worship leaders in the countries that you're involved in, anywhere in the world. And you want to start a conversation about some of the resources that we have started to implement in countries. Man, we'd love to talk to you about that. It could be that uh, we could do some sort of partnership there where we, um, we could give you the resources that you need to be able to, uh, to make a difference in the music and worship leaders in some of these countries. All right. Neil Creasy, thank you for coming on the podcast. But before we go, are you able to talk about your podcast yet? Uh, sure. Let's do it, man. So Neil's got a new podcast. It's going to be amazing. A video podcast. It's going to be great. And we don't know when it's going to drop the first episode yet. Do you have a date?
0: Uh, we're just hoping before Jesus returns.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, that I, could
0: be today. I'm hoping. This one might know, not drop before Jesus returns. Then it begins. won't matter. It won't. Uh, so I'm hoping before the end of the year, if not the very
1: first. Uh, 2024. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So. Um, so, Neil, it's called Redemption Cigars. Yep. All right. And what's it going to be about? Cigars? It's cigars. And redemption.
0: Bible study <laughs> and business leaders.
1: Oh, sweet. Okay.
0: Yes. So it's been born. I lead a, a cigar Bible study on Tuesday nights in Las Vegas. So yeah. if you're ever in Las Vegas, uh, you know, it's it's an open meeting. And we smoke cigars. We yeah. study the Bible.
1: So, if you're allergic to cigar smoke, not a good environment. No, not a good environment. Okay. So,
0: and uh, so this has kind of been born out of it. Yeah. And so our goal will be to talk about cigars, which we love.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, to talk about business leaders and leadership, uh, which is a topic that you know we're passionate about. Yeah. And uh, and of course to study the Word of God. And so. It's, um, I will say that, uh, my cigar Bible study is not rated G. Okay. Not because of me. Okay. But because we have a lot of unchurched people. Love it. And so, uh, I don't, (laughs) I don't. Will you have guests on the podcast? Yes. We're, we're, our goal is to have a different business And that's where the loop. non-rated G might that's come in. Yeah, because we're not looking to just have Christian business leaders, though we do right. want to have those. Right. Um, but just influential business leaders um, from across the nation, around the world. That's, and um, and so, you know, we, we're we not going to filter them. But, um, but it's great fun. You know, we've got... Uh, a bunch of people that meet every week, yeah, and uh, we've had atheists, agnostic, yeah, uh, people of other religions, and um, and it's a place where they can ask questions without a reactionary response. I love it, and um, and we just have a good time and study the Bible and smoke cigars. So we're going to bring it to uh, the podcast world. Well, here. man,
1: because you have been such a great guest on uh, our podcast. Whenever that comes out, we're gonna. We're gonna invite you back to talk about it, and we're definitely gonna promote it on our podcast. So. Thank you, and
0: uh, we'll have to get you on ours. But I could get you a, a candy cigar
1: <laughs>
0: or a toy cigar. I don't Amen. know.
1: Maybe, maybe uh, you know. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it's been a little bit. Didn't a, you say while. you smoked about ten in your life? Uh, yeah, at least. So Probably why not eleven? Let's do it, man. All right, I'll be ready in I'll, Vegas. I'll be one of your first one hundred guests. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay, Neil, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And uh, for all of you, uh, we look forward to seeing or hearing from you anytime, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Worship Leader Essentials podcast. We'll be back soon with another helpful episode. For more information and resources, or to connect with us,
1: please visit worshipcatalyst.com.